welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and as always I'm joined by co-host Dilly Algema to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. Hey Dilly, how are you doing? I'm very good Nick, thank you. How are you? I am feeling amazing and the reason I'm feeling amazing is directly connected to uh-huh. my question for you Dilly to kick off the podcast. How happy are you that Simon is back? Producer Simon's back. Yes. Yay! Yes. Simon's back. Simon's back. Let's do a little Simon's back dance. Producer the eyebrows Simon is back <laughs> at his mixing desk. I assume he's got a mixing desk. I can only see so much of the uh, the good man himself. But Dilly, yeah. How happy are you to see the return of producer Simon? I'm psyched, as the kids say. I'm very happy to... <laughs> You're so cool, Dilly. You're so goddamn cool. Kids think you're cool. <laughs> I'm very happy to have Simon back. Welcome, Simon. He says hello and something about how he hates everybody. No, that, that's not what I, th- he said. I think what he said, he's very happy to see me. Yeah. And he's slightly mildly <laughs> disinterested to see me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. As I mentioned last week, my delight extends to the fact that by the appearance of Simon, on the record today, I clearly have regained about 24 hours of my week <laughs> back from the editing process. Uh, but yeah, it's delightful. Um, I haven't had a chance to have a in-depth conversation with Simon about his journey to New Zealand. But mm-hmm. I do suspect he's followed through with a, a gift suggestion that I made before he did leave, which was essentially to bring me back something that you would only find in New Zealand. It can't find anywhere else on earth. Only in New Zealand would you find this rarest of rarest of items, which is, of course, a hobbit. Nick? So Yeah? Uh, translate this into English for me. What someone <laughs> following through a suggestion you made for a gift. That's exactly what I said. So this man goes to see his family he hasn't seen in a long time. Uh-huh. And you wave him off at the harbour with uh-huh. your white handkerchief saying, bring me back my gifts. Oh, hey, I'm not so crass as to put it on a handkerchief. I put it on a big board that I could hold over my head as he left. And it said, bring me back something nice. <laughs> That's what it said. And like I said... Hobbit, though, I'm pretty sure I'm about 99%. The way Simon is holding his head in his hands and shaking his head with a fury that I think few other men could muster uh, suggests to me that I've got this exactly right. Okay, while Simon is uh, screaming into the void, might I ask you, if I'm going (laughs) back to Sri Lanka in July, what would you want me to bring back for you? I mean, the obvious thing would be all the fruit you keep talking about, but I'm not sure how if that clears customs or even gets out of the country before you start snacking on it on the plane or something. So I'm not entirely sure that it'll get back. I don't know. If you were going to bring something back for me, which would be delightful, and I would never, of course, being a polite man that I am, Mm -hmm. ask you, Dilly, to bring me something back. I I guess I'd ask for something kind of cultural, arty, maybe. I don't know. Something about Sri Lanka that most people wouldn't know about, maybe, or be aware about. Something that's interesting. A cultural artifact or something arty? It could be anything. could be a bag of crisps. could be a local soft drink. Could be ah, so, like drink. anything, anything like that is what I want to see. I want to see the phone book 
I was teaching a class on pragmatics at some point at university. And uh, one thing I brought back for my colleagues at the time were uh, Sri Lankan biscuits that had names oh, yes. that someone just didn't think of changing. So things like chick bits. So it was like little chicken flavored biscuits. They were called mm-hmm. chick bits. Ginger nuts. Nobody changed the word ginger nuts. <laughs> we, we have ginger nuts in, in the UK. Yeah, exactly. Which is why we have them in Sri Lanka. Thank you. Yeah. No shit, Sherlock. So, <laughs> <laughs> damn. Damn, how many minutes are we in? Six minutes and already I'm being, I'm being battered by Dilly. All my colonial privilege. Um, <laughs> did people find the name ginger nuts weird? People in Germany didn't find it weird. I mean, I just, I mean, they snickered at it like, hee, 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 as one does. I just thought it's interesting that we still have, I mean, we are, I mean, we are rewriting books. We are renaming things in the famous five. So why not the ginger nuts? But nobody thought of that. I think the value like supermarket own brand is something like ginger snaps. Ginger snaps. Ah. Which would be the alternative. But I only know ginger nut. Because I had quite bright ginger hair as a kid, that's mm. something that people would routinely shout at me from, you know, across the street. Uh, <laughs> I just randomly go, oh, ginger nut. <laughs> She's like, okay, thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah, so anything like that is what I'd find fascinating. Mm. That's what I still find fascinating about, about Germany. I don't spend a lot of time in the biscuit aisle, but if I do, it's generally just looking at the names of things and looking at, the kind of options. It's like, do you not think things like the fact that the German crisp aisle, one of the most depressing areas in any part of a German supermarket, the German chips crisp aisle, um, oh God. Th- tells you a lot about sort of German food culture mm. in that there's not a wide range in the, in the way that you might expect if mm-hmm. you were in a British or American supermarket, but the variety of paprika flavored crisps or the need or the desire for all crisps to have at least some aspect of paprika in them has to say something about about german culture like a desire to be kind of exotic but not too exotic exotic enough to have something like an exotic flavor Mm. but not exotic enough to have like the spice (laughs) element Mm -hmm. i mean since you said the chips aisle i think most of it is paprika it's yeah. either uh, sour cream and onions, paprika, mm-hmm. kettle chips. I don't know whether that's a brand or, or a kind of chips, but there you go. Yeah, I think it's a particular type and a brand. I think it's both. And there's nothing that is hot. Not there's, massively there's so, There's no chili no. in anything. There was a brand that Raver did that my supermarket, as soon as I found out about it, discontinued. Like the week a week after, just, just discontinued. But the, the foul market I was telling you about that we went to mm-hmm. a few weeks ago, a different kind of supermarket... Uh, that had a far wider range and it did have some chili flavored crisps that weren't just rank i mean the thing it sort of tells you is in the same way that in in britain a lot of the flavors are kind of imports aren't there like uh ungarische Mm. art or like ungarische like it usually means if it's hungarian right Mm -hmm. and it means paprika and it tells you something about like germany and german like food culture and how a lot of it this is a lot of people say this is people that i speak to who often say germany has far more in common with what we might see as eastern europe yeah that's true no and so it is one of those things that that's quite interesting when it with regards to food in the same way that i'm sure a sri lankan bag of crisps or 
a soft drink or I don't know, like those kinds of things <gasps> I find I find fascinating. Advertising in different countries, I find that just fascinating. Our ginger beer is very hot. The Sri Lankan Elephant House ginger beer. Shout ah, out to Elephant House. I do know Elephant House ginger beer. I know this. How do you know this, that? Uh, because... Because it turns out, Tilly, right, as much as you have cultural imports in Sri Lanka from Britain, guess what Britain has? You've had Elephant House ginger beer? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of the, so there's a, which side of, is it the east end of Newcastle? There's a large sort of mixed community of uh, Indians, Pakistanis, Bangladeshis and Sri Lankans. Mm. And so there's a lot of cross culture there. So you go to a news agents around that area and they'll have fresh pakora um, and loads of soft drinks that you've never seen before. And one of them would was Elephant House ginger beer. It's made with real ginger. It is indeed. I think mm-hmm. that says it on the can. In fact, mm-hmm. I think it's one of the advertising. That's something, <laughs> again, something that you don't see that often on a shelf in Germany. You might get Canada dry ginger ale or something. Yeah, ginger but ale. But if you go to a Getränke Markt in certain places, you'll mm-hmm. find them. And you'll find things that I and brew. But um, like, if you go to a good market, the thing that I find really fascinating there is the the aisle with all the Red Bull. Oh, because just seeing the range of like the choices that people have made for their company yeah. name and their branding, watermelon and goat cheese. Yeah, it's totally nuts, and the things that people buy, and again, just the fact that you're in one of these places that sells only like beverages and the mm. range of different drinks. We were talking about Shola the other week, weren't we? And like maracuya saft mm. and stuff like that. And like all these different fruit juices that you just probably wouldn't see that much in, in, yeah. in a British shop. So yeah, I find that all very, very interesting. So bring me back some biscuits, Dilly. I will bring you back some biscuits and some ginger beer probably. What would you want me to bring back from Britain is the question. Oh, nothing, oh, says the producer. No. Nothing. Si- Shaking his head. Simon just broke Nick's heart. Nothing. Nothing, he says. <laughs> well, you know, it's all right. You ain't getting anything anyway, producer. <gasps> <laughs> boys, boys. Yeah, sorry, Dilly. Sorry. Yeah, you have to be the referee again. Would there be something that you'd be looking for me to bring back? Well, the thing is, Raver has a love and hate affair with uh, McVitie's. It says yeah. it like by the bucket at a point, and then like for two months it's gone, and then it's there. And yeah. I love McVitie's, but you know, I. I can source that. My people will speak to the raver people. <laughs> you sound like a mafia, Don. Which particular McVitie's biscuit are you looking for? Chocolate coated. Oh, right. So, okay. They're really good. Do you want the ones with caramel in the middle? There's a caramel in the middle? Raver doesn't oh, yeah, have yeah. that. Ah, well, see, that's why you're going to Britain. <laughs> so, it just has oats, the oat yeah. cookies, and, uh, and the chocolate coated ones well you get you get ones that are chocolate and caramel and digestive and you get oaty ones you get different types so that's why you would go back you get mini versions as well that's what you want mini versions hidden in your pockets so so there's like a selection in a little box no 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 i mean i think it's just mini bags oh yeah see you can see producer simon beginning to question his decision to reject my very generous offer of a gift from britain oh well um i think uh, nick's uh, eternal uh, search for simon's validation is going to be very entertaining for me dilly <laughs> i founded a podcast that i put out and, and uh, myself that i edited like on my own for two years 
I'm looking, not looking for producer Simon's validation. I'm looking for everyone's validation. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, enough about me. <laughs> Until the next time I talk about it. Um, we've got a wolf update, Dilly. We have a wolf update. I need a wolf update. Always. I'm up for it. After last week's adventures with wolves in Niedersachsen and the story involving a woman on an e-bike, uh, can we just take a moment to point out how weird it is that we still talk about e-bikes? Like, do you not find e-bikes is a very dated term? Like e-car, mm-hmm. e-bike. It's like if you went www.google.com. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> it feels very dated. Like, do you not feel that the concept of an e-bike is a bit of a dated idea? Like the name. There is no way to Google without the www. It's just that everyone knows it. But no, but you still... wouldn't say it, would you? If you said it, you'd sound weird. You wouldn't say it. But with bikes, you still have a bunch of people who are valiantly saying, you know, I'll be damned if I ever get on an e-bike. I'm not lazy. And so you have like hmm. the normal bike people and the e-bike people. And you have to respect that. I know, I get it, but I'm just saying, like, wouldn't it be good if we came up with a more modern term for it instead of, like, making it sound like it's the mid-90s and everyone's got a Walkman, you know? Um, uh, do you have a modern term uh, to suggest? Look, my people are working on it. <laughs> um, I'll come up with something for next week. All I'm going to be thinking about for the entire show is good names for e-bikes. So just remember that when you think I'm distracted. Anyway, stop my rant about uh, towards e-bikes. Back to these... Uh, Saxish uh, wolves. So, yeah, the story last week involved a woman on an e-bike being followed by three wolves. But a report over the weekend was from Ostsaxon, and it's begun to make people question the general idea of rewilding, I think. Uh, and it does keep wolves in the headlines, so that's some kind of positive. So this is in the town of Weisswasser. A dog owner found their pet collie mauled and partially eaten after it ran after a deer and the owner said they saw three wolves running away before they found their dog which is quite a gruesome find i'm sure Mm. and according to experts attacks by wolves on dogs are quite uncommon but in this instance it it does seem to be exactly what's happened Uh, and generally they say that conflicts only arise when uh, dogs move into uh, wolves territory or seen as a threat additionally there's a problem with the fact that at the moment february and march is the mating season for wolves so Diddy, any sympathy for the dog owner here you're really putting me on the spot with that one aren't you nick i am well i just caught you yawning so it's time to wake you up <laughs> you think i didn't see it you think i didn't see it i see everything <laughs> i didn't think you'd see it oh. Father, forgive me. I'm a teacher just like you. If I yawned, you would see it from a mile away. You always see people yawning when you're monologuing. (laughs) 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 Kind of read my mind there, Nick. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, back to you. So, yeah. So this pet owner let the dog off the leash. The dog got attacked by wolves and partially eaten. Quite horrific scene. But I kind of felt very little sympathy for the dog owner in that instance. Why? Um, May I ask why? Well, you've got to know that you're in an area where there's wolves, right? There's no way that you don't know that. Yeah. Right? You'd hear it, no? It's Germany, man. Like, people talk. <laughs> I'm sure he knew about that. About the wolves. I'm, especially about the wolves, right? Like, so, it's sad that the dog got eaten, but also, I don't feel like this is a particular argument not to have wolves in your, uh, in, in your sort of uh, countryside. 
I know that you're judging me for this and goodness knows why but I do feel sorry for the man I mean he lost his pet um and obviously the wolves are getting closer to where the people live which I think is um uh, probably what the people the politicians will say when they want to shoot at the wolves like they did the bear the one bear in Germany Oh yeah that was a while that was a good couple of decades ago the the bear that Oh, there's been a couple, I think, since since the really famous one. I forget the name of the very famous bear that became like a... Problem bear. Yeah, it became like a, a national sensation. I'm not judging you particularly. I think it's interesting that we talked about wolves last week and then this has cropped up again, suggesting that there's there's more contact between humans and the wild mm. elements of German nature. Do you think this is something that we're going to see more often then? I'm assuming I mean these things don't have food wherever they live which is probably why they keep getting closer to human settlements. I'll be honest I don't I, I know I watched that documentary about wolves but I can't remember how much wolves are in uh, scavenging uh, like say foxes and and or in America like coyotes and things like that. It does seem like this is more of a territorial issue which kind of leads me to my next question I suppose. I feel like Germans in general are quite well educated certainly in the south about about nature and about certain uh, environments but is it maybe time that we had a, a refresher on what kind of wildlife there is out there I feel like other countries certainly if we talk about Australia or something like that mm. very aware of the kinds of like animals that exist there it feels like a lot of people or Australians that I've spoken to maybe it's just the people who left seem very aware of mm. the different kinds of animals that will kill you so do you not think it's time that we had something similar a better understanding of our natural environment another angle to the same story might be that maybe now people will learn to keep their fucking dogs on leashes Yes, yeah, so that's kind of that's what I was saying like it's it does feel like the dog ran after a deer because it wasn't on a leash which is pretty bad as things go. Mm-hmm. If I was a farmer and I had sheep or cattle or any kind of like animal in the mm. field and some idiot walked past with a dog off a leash and start chasing the animals then I would be very annoyed. In the same vein like if you know there's deer around and you've got a collie. Yeah. Like maybe you want to be a bit more aware of your own pet. I feel like it's an unnecessary situation that could have been avoided. Yeah. But maybe I'm being too harsh. Who knows? Speaking of other minor disasters, let's move move on to the the recurring story, a story that keeps coming back like a a bad kebab. And that's the Berlin election. And there's an update on the Berlin election and the attempts to form some kind of coherent government in the city fine fine city of berlin so last month we discussed the results of the berlin election mm-hmm. and the outcome that saw no party gain a majority but it did have the cdu as the largest party in the capital the fallout from the election has now seemingly settled down a bit or at least the whiny rhetoric from berlin's cdu and its leader kai wegner has has, has reduced somewhat Almost a month on from the election, there still isn't a government in Berlin. This isn't entirely abnormal in a country with proportional representation and where coalitions are commonplace. Having discussed and rejected a possible black-green coalition, and that would be the CDU and the Green Party, it looks like we could be heading for a CDU-SPD coalition. And this could see Berlin rerunning the Grand Coalition, or GroKo. God, does Germany love a nickname for their government coalitions. Uh, And the GroKo was formed during Angela Merkel's final government in 2017. 
So the SPD have said they would like to poll their members. Mm -hmm. So we might not actually see a government in place in Berlin until the results of that polling, which should come in around April 23rd. So the election was the beginning of February. We might not see a sitting government until the end of April. Do you like that idea of forming a government that takes a, a bit of time to, to negotiate? Do you like that idea? I, I mean, are the people of Berlin happy with this? I mean, you're not going to have a government over Easter. I'll let you guess what the people of Berlin might think of this. <laughs> <laughs> Divided, I imagine, would be the answer. <laughs> I, ha I must admit, when you said it's coming up like a bad kebab, I thought, okay, what has Marcus Söder done now? So it was not Marcus Söder. Not yet, no. <laughs> I'm sure he'll chip in at some point. He's got his own elections to worry about. But do you think it, there's a benefit to it, though? Do you not think it's good that they're taking their time to see which policies match and whether they can function instead of just jumping into bed with the nearest, most appealing candidate? If that is what they're doing, but then at the end of the day, this is the CDU and the SPD. I mean, are there going to be any policies that are worth discussing over a month? I'm sorry. Uh, oh, are you suggesting that the policies are too similar or too dissimilar? I mean, I know that in, in the state that I live in and in similar states, the CDU being in the forefront is what kind of keeps the IFD from getting the bigger chair at the table. And, True, yeah. Um, I don't want to say I'm grateful for that, but I, I, I do see the advantage in that. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, this is a government we've already seen, right? CDU and SPD in Berlin. I mean, it's it's one that it's a common uh, coalition. It was the national government for a while, and I think there's a few states that have them working together in, if not bipartisan coalition, but maybe a tripartisan mm -hmm. coalition with the Greens. What do you think about it? I like that we're not having sort of ludicrous sort of media grabbing speeches about the fairness of it all and how unfair it is that the CDU can't ignore how elections work and just rule outright um, with their god king Kai uh, Wegener. But like, I do think it's a, um, it's a good thing. I think it's good that you have them actually seeking to build some kind of agreement what i like is how how it's transpired with the national government in that they literally have a contract that says we are going to do these things and not do these things we're going to vote in these ways and not in these ways mm. and so when people maybe make decisions that are harder for their supporters to follow they're like look we made this agreement mm. you trusted us to do this we've made this contract this mm. coalitions for trag and this is what it says and mm. it's on paper and it's clear as day what we've decided and in this instance is good because they're also going back to their members and saying do you accept this yeah. is this okay yeah so i can't see yes it's long-winded but yeah. maybe that's a better process than not i'm glad they're trying that out because i mean if not like in a couple of days we would have seen like people holding hands on stages and it all being very yeah is pretentious the word it, it, it's like sickly sweet yeah, a little bit saccharine maybe. Yeah, that's probably mm. probably where we're at. I, I like the whole, uh, let's take the time, let's make this the arranged marriage kind of thing. Mm. <laughs> let's talk <laughs> about if we do match first. And What's the dowry? How many <laughs> how many head of cattle are we going to share? Um, yeah, it does, it does feel a little bit like that. But I remember 
there was a documentary about the coalition negotiations in Britain in 2010, mm. and I think it was called something like 10 Days That Shook the World or something like or Shook Britain. And you're like, it was a coalition discussion. <laughs> <laughs> they made one for the Germany every time there was a coalition negotiation. There would just be nothing else on television, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, maybe it's a maybe it's a positive, but it does take a bit of time and probably annoys a few Berliners. Mm. But do you like the idea of the two largest parties or like two obvious opponents forming a coalition? Do you think that's something that works well? Is it something that you think would be it would be what people would be voting for, or do you feel it's a little bit of a bit of a damp squib to a certain extent? I think we've seen what the Greens can do. And I'm a little sad that they haven't turned up somewhere in Berlin and that we still have uh, the two major traditional parties holding hands. That's kind of a letdown. I don't know. Is is that not how you feel about it? Well, the Greens did have a discussion, I think. There was an initial discussion between uh, the CDU and the Greens. But I think the statement, they didn't say anything particularly negative. I don't think, they didn't say, oh, we don't. We have nothing in common with the Greens, which I thought was a bit of a surprise given mm. their rhetoric beforehand. They did say we have more in common with the SPD, which I'm not sure is whether that's an insult to the SPD or <laughs> a celebration of the CDU's liberal policies. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's one of those things where if you don't... Do you know, like, Sherlock Holmes doesn't work without Moriarty. and ah. and. You sort of need an opponent, right? Like the foil. Yeah, you do. I think having a strong opponent isn't necessarily a bad thing for a government. Yeah. And it's back to what you said about them being the CDU kind of being a bit of a firewall when it comes to the AfD. If the CDU and SPD are together, mm. who are the opponents? The AfD and the Greens. Yeah. Is that a good balance? Is that what you want? Do you want the AfD in that such a prominent position? Am I allowed to say that I'm for the Greens and I would have really liked to see the Greens? <laughs> I've, I've been very very clear on the fact that I, I voted for the Greens yeah, in the last election. Yeah. So I don't have any qualms about it. I'm, there's no public service paying us to keep our political opinions to ourselves. Um, I mean, so you would say having the Greens in opposition is a positive? I mean, I, I assume we have to have them in the opposition because they're not in mm. one of the leadership roles. Mm. Uh, I mean, fine, I'll settle for that. <laughs> fine the, the other question I had was given that Angela Merkel's kind of government was famous for this GroCo this Grand Coalition mm-hmm. how do you feel about these kind of like this terminology we use for coalition building we've got the Ample Coalition we have the Paprika what's the Paprika Coalition it's the same as Ample but it's just the same <laughs> colours and it has a quirky name you have the green yellow and the red <laughs> oh, right, okay. The that paprika is good. coalition. I like, I like paprika coalition. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> but we also had have Jamaica, um, and that's when the CDU is it CDU Greens and FDP work together. Mm-hmm. Is that the Jamaica coalition? Um, there's a Kenya coalition. Like they always need to name them after flags mm-hmm. because of the colours. So like and like Groco is one of them. Do you like these little like sexy names that they come up for their coalitions? You, do know, you like, do you think it's good branding. In in an era when my party is like in the opposition, I will settle for sexy names. I will settle for whatever I can get out of this, Nick. So 
So, for almost a year now, Germany has been debating the merits of environmental protests, especially from the group Letzten Generation, or Last Generation. These protesters have been responsible for gluing themselves to roads, to podiums of politicians, daubing various works of art in soup. Oh, Jesus, while the, Yeah, tell me about it. It's pretty wild. Um, while the sides of these debates have often broken along party lines, there was a protest over the weekend that seems to sp- have sparked some condemnation from all sides of the political spectrum. Uh, early Saturday morning, activists from Letzten Generation uh, daubed the glass sculpture Grundgesetz 49 and what appeared to be oil and hung posters over the glass panels that stated Erdöl oder Grundrechter. Uh, condemnation focused on the fact the sculpture, which is made up of 19 glass panels with uh, 19 Grundrechts article, there's uh, Grundgesetz, or the 19 fundamental laws mm-hmm. of the German constitution, laser engraved into them. The SPD MP Michael wrote, uh, called it billiger würdelose uh, action, a cheap undignified action, while mm-hmm. Green MP Konstantin von Notz described the operation on Twitter as a scheiße action, which was a shitty campaign. FDP parliamentary group uh, leader Konstantin Kuhler went even further by saying, Wenn sich diese Tempo der Radikalisierung vorsetzt, muss die letzte Generation früher oder später vom Verfassungsschutz beobachtet werden. Which essentially meant that if this this kind of radicalization continues, the last generation will sooner or later have to be watched by the Office for the Protection of the Constitution, which is kind of like the FBI. Mm. So um, this is like an ongoing issue and it and certainly has been for over, uh, I couldn't work out if it was over or under 12 months, but it's, it seems to come up weekly at this point. Mm. How do you feel about these kinds of protests that are taken by the Letzten Generation? Do you think they're warranted? I think they're absolutely warranted. I think we have uh, too much uh, platform space given to the absolute, I, I, I can't find a word derogatory enough to refer to the musks and the tates of this world. We have the wrong voices, the wrong opinions, having so much room and we are seeing the effects of it. We are seeing the effects of lobbying and uh, people not being taken I don't know. I mean, we sometimes I feel like like taking part in elections and seeing the same old shit happening over and over. You feel so helpless, and and we need the right to protest. It has always been a right, and this is just how we exercise it. So you disagree that these kind of protests are maybe taking things too far, becoming too disruptive. I mean, that's the point, right? I mean, disruption is part of a protest. What is too disruptive? I mean, I suppose some people would say that protesting in front of ordinary people's cars on roads, preventing people getting to work, maybe people losing out on on earnings or or hours is Mm -hmm. inherently unfair. It's also unfair that we have these reasons for which we are protesting, right? I mean, climate change, people are losing years of their lives. Uh, people are falling sick, they're losing land, there's flooding, people are dying. So there is loss there and we are bringing attention to that loss. I mean, there needs to be disruption as people will not know that there is a problem, that this can't go on like this and we need to rally people to the cause. 
I mean, I know that people say, ah, you know, they're silly protesters. I just want to get about my day. And that's just a very selfish way of going about it. I see what you're saying. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with this protest in particular, mm. I think is total yeah. bullshit, but, or like throwing paint or food or soup or whatever at paintings. Mm. I'm not entirely convinced that that is the way forward. But what I'd love to see is people going, I disagree with this, but I also support our right to protest. Mm. I don't agree with this protest, but I do understand that this is allowed. But what you tend to see is people dragging protesters off the street and articles about the legality of doing that. And there was even an article I read in the Spiegel, which was a climate change activist who'd said, in the back of my mind, I'm always mentally prepared for yeah. someone dying in a traffic jam, saying essentially that they go out fully understanding that they could get killed by someone at this point. Because you see the state of some drivers, they get really aggressive. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interestingly enough, and this is maybe just me and my observation, but majority of the people getting angrier men in SUVs. <laughs> like, oh, like that's like all I see. I don't see many women shouting at people. I see a lot of men, single men in cars, big cars, SUVs, luxury cars getting very angry about protesters. Maybe that's just because of the locations of where the protesters are. I, I don't really know. But is it? I mean, there is no one location for a protest, right? I mean, you no. it has to happen in a place where people will give you attention. That is part of the point of protesting. If you protest peacefully, I mean, peacefully in inverted commas, if you protest mm. in some kind of, I mean, off a forest somewhere, <laughs> mm. because it's convenient for everyone else not met by the problem, then there is no point in protesting. I think even the Sri Lankan government at some point came up with an agitation site saying that, you know, the protests are getting, you know, it's um, they're disrupting traffic and people need to get to work. So here, um, we give you a small platform off a road somewhere. You can protest there to your heart's content. And naturally, that's not the fucking point. So, I mean, what do people want here? An agitation site? Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of, you've kind of hit the nail on the head with, with that. The, the more I look at the criticism of these protesters, all I see is people going, I don't want them to be protesting. Mm. They don't suggest a solution. Yeah. They don't suggest any idea. The editor of, is it Die Welt, was on mm. the radio, I think, talking about this the mm -hmm. other day. And he said, oh, he's talking about climate change or climate protests. Uh, he came across really poorly. But he uh, he said something about how I don't want it to be a culture war, or at least I, I'm not fighting a culture war. They're fighting a culture war, and he used the term um, "kulturkampf." Mm -hmm. And I looked at his Twitter feed, and I was like, "All you do is culture war, man! Like all your newspaper is <laughs> about is trying to create some, trying to make some comment piece that is um, making fun of woke anistas and and let's generation, and and, and it, it does feel very divisive." That's an mm. accusation, actually, that's been leveled at the protesters themselves. I, mm. Again, I wonder what what your thoughts are on this. Do you think it's? Do you think the protesters are causing the division here? Because it feels like it's becoming more and more heated every week. And and as we've seen, the FDP politicians calling on the 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 Verfassungsschutz to get mm. involved. Do you blame the protesters for those divisions? For one thing, I think 
people are behaving like they're Victorians who need Epsom salt to bring them back. Like, uh, you know, oh, it's getting worse by the day. Let's let's bring out the hounds, sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, the point is Verfassungsgericht. Yeah. Verfassungsgericht? Verfassungsschutz. Verfassungsschutz. Yeah, uh, that's classic. Of course, I expected that because, I mean, um, you don't have a proper solution. And also, you're just, you know, shooting at the messenger. I mean, the problems are bad. I mean, look at Pakistan. Mm. Look at all the floods. Look at all the Pakistani mm. migrants that we have now. I mean, the protest is only going to get as bad as the problem. Well, I can't help but feeling that like, history is going to be on their side in 100 years' time when they look back at this period. I don't yeah. think it's going to be the people in the SUVs that everyone's going to be cheering. I think mm-hmm. it's going to be the protesters. Yeah. I have a feeling it's going to be the same as how we see suffragettes. That's the instinct yeah. I have, but I know it's always yeah. dangerous to predict the future. But I can see them being seen as kind of uh, heroic trailblazers. Although, yeah, possibly. Although I'm not entirely... I mean, I, I get this, like, this sort of a political connection to this particular protest. I didn't like it simply because I'm not entirely sure... I'm not entirely sure when they do these things that there's any real meaning behind them and i think that's part of the problem is it it seems it seems like an obstruction on the roads or like if you're gluing yourself to the podium of a politician that follows but like Mm. attacking a sculpture that is representing the fundamental rights of germans it feels a little bit like i don't know i just don't feel that message is as abundantly clear as i think they want to make it there's outrage in it there is, yeah. there is. Well, I, is it outrage? Yeah, I would say outrage. I understand like this, the, the essentials of it, that they're saying that this mm. oil takes precedence over human rights, which I think is probably true. But mm. I don't know, something didn't sit right with me with regards to that. Obviously, this sort of statement about getting kind of law enforcement involved in investigations into this uh, activist group yeah, sure. seemed quite intense. It's like taking a gun and shooting yourself in both feet. In both feet, <laughs> potentially, yeah. <laughs> Do you think it is a case that all this ramping up of intensity on of the protests, but also of the, of the rhetoric around it, mm. do you reckon this is ultimately going to lead in like eco-terrorism? Which it's wild to say that out loud, but it feels like that's been coming for a while this idea that like it feels like a a sci-fi topic but do you think it could we could see a point where let's think anorexion become like really extreme being really extreme that's an interesting question well like a greenpeace for instance releasing animals that have been tested on it's like breaking into buildings and doing stuff like that can be quite extreme but it's like it's not necessarily a terrorist act no but like, this is the point that they're making. They're like, oh, these guys are creating divisions. These guys could potentially become terrorists. Like, uh, I feel like that seems a little bit wild. I think it's over the top. And I also, you're calling them terrorists by bringing in the law enforcement, right? Yeah, yeah, essentially, and yeah. it's not like they are doing something terrorist. It's like we are calling them terrorists so that we are in a position to control them and we won't get backlash over it isn't that the point i guess so i think as soon as you start investigating you just investigating them with the the level of force that they're suggesting yeah it discredits them the government is going to look silly over it i think really do you think that's what the outcome i think a lot of people would would be like yeah that's exactly what we should be doing we'd be sitting on these young uns yeah 
Oh, the, the, there is a, a sense of certainly among this in this area for sure. I mean, I'm, we are over, overcompensated for conservatives here, but it does feel like a lot of people have no sympathy for these protesters whatsoever outside of sort of universities. I I don't know. I don't know whether we can say that sort of thing without having more information in hand. <laughs> I mean, you seem to be more conscientious than most journalists in the country at the moment. So. <laughs> Fair play <laughs> I think to you, that you is know? a very nice compliment. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if these people's lives are in danger, I mean, if you're going to have the law enforcement on them, um, for, uh, I don't know, throwing custard uh, onto the glass of a painting and the painting's going to uh. be fine. I don't know. I might skip the country, Nick. It was like, it was again, I think it's the same editor of the of Develt posted something the weekend where it was protesters take, essentially taking the piss out of a, an SUV driver. Mm. And the SUV driver was stuck in traffic and was clearly very embarrassed mm-hmm. by the whole affair. But it was just someone holding a sign and there was people taking photos and laughing at the sign because it was kind of making fun of this SUV driver. And when there's a joke about the left, mm. in inverted commas, or a joke about the letter Ganaration, he'll like tweet it out and go, oh yeah, like this is a, write an article about it, going, yeah, this is great, this is really funny. And then when it came to like this thing of a group of like mild-mannered protesters kind of making fun of an SUV driver, it was like, this is so divisive. This is the end of Germany. This is this is the end of all civilization, you know? And it's all very hy- hyperbolic yeah, and yeah, over the yeah. top. Yeah, And I kind of feel like that's where we're at, you know, we're in this position where we're at the pearl clutchy, as you said, this yeah. kind of Epsom uh, salt clutching. stage. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I... Epsom salt is a good pull, though. Like, cause it is that kind of, oh, oh, Dr. Cribbins, oh, golly, what's happened, <laughs> you know? And like, it's sort of, I'm ha- I've got a fainting fit. I feel faint. Lie down on this couch and loosen your buttonhole, you know, like that kind of thing. And it, it is very much like that. It seems to happen a lot with blokes in Germany, especially blokes in positions of authority, where anything they think is a problem is a chin-stroking, essay-worthy mm-hmm. kind of problem, whereas everyone else's problems are just shit and stupid or like funny or or just like Mm. of no consequence and it just felt like again this is one of those situations where the first time i think i heard the term ego terrorist it was in a johnny mnemonic with keanu reeves back in the early 90s or something Mm. you know it's like one of these kind of things that a hollywood director would think up as a the heroes in a story or like uh, even the people in avatar aren't they ego terrorists as well (laughs) i just think it's a bit it's a bit daft. It's a bit daft. It's a bit daft. I think you're making terrorists out of people in order to claim some kind of high ground. Especially when there isn't any evidence of anything even approaching that. But this is the thing. In Britain, that's kind of how we treat our um, the same group. Mm. Extinction Rebellion were doing this uh, well into the pandemic. Mm. And it seems to have sort of similar kind of tactics, gluing themselves to different things, throwing paint and, and causing sort of bother. Uh, and general issues and there was a point where basically now the police like i think it was an incident last year where the police just turned up they were preparing for a protest peaceful protest along with other protesters against government sort of intransigence when it comes to climate change and uh the police just confiscated everything off them took everything off them uh in some cases uh, subjected them to strip searches Mm. and like really abusive kind Mm. of very threatening kind of situations, especially when they knew that these people didn't have any dangerous items, but mm. subjected them to strip search anyway. And that's quite heavy-handed, but it's not really? quite heavy-handed. It is heavy-handed strategy. And I think it's it, we're going to 
we're getting to that point in, in Germany, which is which is a bit of a shocker. You would you kind of hope that people would have a bit more, I don't know, a bit more support for the uh, for the old kind of democratic rights that people have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You see this, I mean, uh, when I was living in Gießen and we had uh, the protest uh, for um, the Dunnan Road forest. This was about the deforestation in Dunnan Road for the purposes of extending an autobahn. And um, mm. the people who protest are always treated so degradingly uh, with violence and it's like anything to do with nature. It's they, These things are seen as frivolous. You want to save a forest, yeah. you're like a tree hugger. And mm. um, you want to save several forests, you're, you hug trees in the plural. There's a way of looking at people they think are too leftist, right? Yeah, we call them like yogurt knitters. The who? There's a term, it's a really odd term that we have in Britain uh, about yogurt knitting. Yogurt knitting? I don't know. I'm not sure if it's to do with the the frivolousness of the activity, uh-huh. or or that it's like something to do with like eco protesters or, mm. or environmental protesters eating a lot of yogurt and knitting. I can't quite remember what oh, it is, but okay. we do. That's a term that we yogurt talk about. Knitting. Yeah, I do know what you mean. It is is kind of considered a little bit ridiculous, but I don't know why. Especially when you see how how warm it's been over winter, flooding, all these other yeah, things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's understandable. So I guess it's one of those um, it's one of those issues which which is it's going to continue to develop. Yeah. But I'm just hoping I'm hoping for everyone's sakes that it develops in a rather more mild environment as opposed to the kind of screechy, fainting couch, pearl clutchy mm. nature that it has been. Following the public suggestion by Klaus Olbricht, Vice President der Deutschen Industrie und Handelskammer, uh, which means in English Vice President of the German Chamber of Industry and Commerce, Vice President uh, Klaus Olbricht had said that English uh, could become an official second language in Germany. Uh, and he said so in a speech recently. He said, Führen wir Englisch als zweite Amtssprache ein. Let's introduce English as a second official language. He pointed to Scandinavia as the obvious model. And he said that although it might not be easy for the bureaucracies to deal with more paperwork in English, eventually things would even out, which I think is admirable optimism mm-hmm. from a, a German <laughs> uh, a German kind of... Uh, is he a politician? Not really a politician. It's, it's just admirable optimism in Germany, full stop. Um, <laughs> This seemingly drastic change of languages, one that would require a change to federal law, came on the back of the Federal Employment Agency reporting in November that Germany needed up to 400,000 people from abroad every year. Although government support has only come from the FDP, there has been some broad support among groups that represent startups that already use a lot of English, as well as IT firms based in Germany. Now, obviously, Dilly and I are English speakers. You would think or at least we'd hope that we would welcome English as an official second language in Germany. But would you, Dilly? Would you welcome the arrival of English as the official Zweite Extremely personally speaking, I would be very comfortable for other people to also speak in English because um, (laughs) this is how I would best explain myself 
but I mean, is this going to help people who are just arriving in Germany? What does this mean for kids who are, who are studying English in school and uh, are finding it very difficult to learn a language that they do not use daily outside of school? Uh, does this mean that the syllabi will be revised to reflect an English usage concurrent with English in other countries? What is this actually going to manifest itself as having English as an official second language in Germany? What about other languages that are spoken more? I mean, we have, uh, I think, Arabic spoken quite a bit, right? I'm a, I would be right in thinking that 10% of the country speak Turkish. Ah, yeah, there's Turkish. Either yeah. as, as a first or second language. Yeah. I mean, why not, you know? <laughs> but I guess the point they're making is if you're looking to attract... 400,000 people from abroad to work in different jobs or mm -hmm. you're looking to attract IT developers, developers, creatives, those kinds of people, offering the opportunity to communicate and work in English and all the paperwork that you have to fill out will be in English. Mm -hmm. That would be an attractive option. Or that you could go and speak to somebody at the finance amt in English instead of in <laughs> German. <laughs> Like that's, I guess, what the change would be. I'm sorry. This, the finance amt. <laughs> I wonder whether they can exude their, their sense of authority and, uh, and amusedness in English. You've kind of zeroed in on something that might be a bit of a question, which is like the ability of Beamters to speak English and whether they can... Like communicating in English is different from speaking English, I would mm, say, mm. in the same way that communicating in German is different from speaking German, mm. right? I feel like I speak German. I feel like I don't communicate in German. Yeah, And I feel yeah, like a lot yeah. of people speak English, but they don't communicate in English. Mm. And I think those two things are quite important to separate yeah. because subtleties of tone of voice, subtleties of emphasis. Yeah. The difference between how we emphasize nouns and verbs can be a real mm. telling way of communicating. The subtexts of English communication, for instance, will will that be included in this kind of course? But you do you do make a rare point, which is that will this make children better at, at English? Mm. Will this will this mean that the entire sil syllabus for English classes has to be revised so mm. that? Um, we can include more practical English, mm. for instance. That is exactly what I meant when I said um, English that is used uh, at the same time in other countries. Practical English usage, something uh, that is relevant not only for getting getting marks or points at an exam, but um, in in the Alltag or in everyday interaction. Yeah, it would. I mean, it would have made my life a hell of a lot e easier, but maybe would have reduced my motivation to speak German, mm. which I guess is something that we need to consider. Do you think it would be so attractive that a lot of people would just wouldn't speak German? Are you are you being a devil's advocate with the question? <laughs> I guess a little bit. I've been a bit of a devil's advocate this week, so <laughs> I can't help myself. I can't imagine people not speaking in German anymore. I mean, in any case, the radio doesn't play any music, any song that is not English. And we still don't have a problem with that. I guess it's like a 70-30 split that I, I hear on the radio stations mm. between sort of... Antenna Bayern maybe plays more German music. But yeah. There's a lot more English content mm. musically on the radio or even on television for, for, for that matter. 
Pants. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's like your one. My one's Ego FM. Ego FM. Um, yeah, I, but like my thought would be if there's more and more people coming to the country speaking English, you can do more things in English with regards to governance. If you had a situation where you've got documentation in English, maybe television channels in English, like it sort of snowballs, right? Like I can understand people's general fears that German won't be spoken anymore. Um, whether that's realistic though, like the Dutch seem to be still speaking Dutch, even though they're excellent at English. Yeah. The Scandinavia as a whole have a fantastic yeah. grasp of English. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time, not necessarily through education, but through the fact that television's in English. Yeah. Uh, and, and they have subtitles. Oh, this might mean that, like, when they play Inspector Barnaby on ARD and ZDF, maybe they might not dub it anymore in bloody German. Oh, that's something to look forward to. I always thought is it's insane to me that they don't already have a channel that just shows this stuff in English. In English, right? I mean, Fleabag. Uh, Fleabag, they had the option when they showed it on German TV. I mean, if, like, I don't understand why there isn't just a channel doing it, you know? You might, you might as well, why? since you've got the rights to it. Do you think that, and this is, this is a, a, a toughie, right? Because you know that we've obviously had to do it the hard way, mm. right? We've moved here, there was nothing in English. Do you think that it would be unfair on those of us, i.e. you and me, uh, and producer Simon, who've had to move to Germany and do it the hard way, mm. do you think there'll become like a division between... The people who had to suffer the Finanzamt in German rather than in English. I'm always of the opinion that if something was hard for us, then I'm all uh, I'm all out for someone else having it easier down the line. Uh, the point is not that we went through something difficult and everyone should go through the same thing. I mean, the fact that we had to learn German the hard way or... Um, answer incredulous questions at the Finanzamt has not made us any stronger or better or more beautiful people. And people that come after us, Nick, should have it as as easy as they can have it. No, no, I disagree. We need all to be forged in the crucible <laughs> of embarrassing <laughs> Denglish conversations where we forget the verb ending and we can't remember exactly whether we were in the dative or the genitive. And we're not entirely sure if it's a masculine, a feminine or a neutral noun, mm -hmm. but we're probably just going to go with das and try and blunt force our way through this conversation. Uh, I do. I honestly think this will be a divide. If it, there'll be people who will take an immense amount of personal pleasure in dividing themselves off from these newer arrivals who don't have to do the hard things that we had to do. Mm. Oh, I remember when you had to go to the Finanzamt and they would beat you. They would beat you with your tax return until you told them exactly what the number. <laughs> you could see that being kind of the 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 attitude. I think. Yeah. Tell me, so when you say that sort of thing, do you like scratch your ass and uh, yell at the kids playing on your lawn? You know, like, you get off my <laughs> get lawn. Off, get off my lawn. You people yeah, who do um, not know what I had to go through at the Finanzamt. But I've had this, I had this even before this was introduced. I remember being, standing in a pub. No, I was outside a pub having a cigarette and someone came out and they said something to me in German and I said, you what, mate? And I didn't, just didn't hear them. And I was a bit pissed. And they said, and I'm sure I've told this story before, and they said something like, oh, you're a native speaker in English. And I was like, what, what did you say? 
He said, oh, you're a native speaker. You don't speak German. And I was like, and I was like I've been here for 15 years and I speak German fluently. And I was just like, good for you, mate. Like, fucking cool. But <laughs> I'm watching the football with my mates. If that's fine, with it's okay if we communicate in English. Or do we have to get your permission? So there's already people who do that. Although people who will embarrass you because your German's not as good as theirs. Oh, yeah, that already yeah. exists within our communities, right? So I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if they suddenly became very upset and actively protested against this move <laughs> if it was to come about. Yeah, yeah, they will, they will. I think uh, rather than the immigrants, uh, rather than us, I think they're going to have like lots of Germans protesting. I mean, there were enough protests. No, 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 I don't mean Germans. No. I mean, people like us who moved here have been here for a decade or so. Oh, mini beanies. Totally see that happening. Really? I yeah, yeah. We had it hard and other people should have it hard too. That's a thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, oh, like, why should anyone else get it easier than us? Oh, no. How come they're not on mm. TikTok, like, with all those psychology <laughs> accounts? They learn so much. They sleep the better at night. This is the first time that anyone said you should be on TikTok because you'll learn so much. That's not really <laughs> been my personal impression. Although I did spend a good 30 minutes today watching someone unclog a drain on various different videos. They just unclog drains. It's called, I think, unclog drains. Or, uh, oh, the unclogger of the drains. <laughs> There you I, go. I've so seen you know it on what I mean. Twitter. Um, that's what TikTok's for, I not for learning, I, I, learning I deleted things. TikTok like a month ago. But you must have come across these people, these people who've, in a similar boat to you, similar experience, have moved here mm. and think somehow they've got a level of superiority over over the the expats or the or the new arrivals or uh, or maybe maybe you've been lucky and avoided this particular eventuality. No, I don't think so. I think I've I've actually met people who go, oh, you know, we don't like, you know, oh, the immigrants who are so silly, they they do A, B, and C. But you're you're not like that. You're 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 the one of the good ones. Yeah, I mean, I definitely had that conversation. Mm. Yeah, you're one of the good ones. Mm. But I remember distinctly the first time I arrived. Uh, you know, it's must have been a few months after I arrived in Germany. I just set myself up with my first job. We had a, an apartment and things were taken over and our housemeister mm. or the the landlord i can't remember it suggested that i said that there's a there's like an english group that mm. meet up once a month in the town next to ours and we went to that meetup and everyone there's about 11 people there every single one of them were the most negative people telling you everything that would, would like oh that's not going to happen or that'll and i was like oh i want to do this eventually or i want to go here or want to travel to this location or maybe look to find this kind of job and they were all just like nah it'll never happen germany's like this what you don't understand is and it felt very condescending the whole conversation so i've definitely had those mm. and it wouldn't surprise me if those were the type of people out with signs saying no to be amped at english oh interesting That brings us to the end of the show. We are going to teach some Beamters how to say, how may I help you? Yeah, politeness. That's the first lesson, <laughs> I'll tell you. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes, which only takes a minute and can really help us. You can also rate us on Spotify, so chuck some stars that way as well. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag DecadesFromHome, all lowercase, on Twitter or Instagram. You can also support the podcast by going to ko-fi.com slash DecadesFromHome and contributing to keep this boat afloat. 
As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Dilly on at Dilly Algama, and you can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on decadesfromhome at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%german.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks, and be some next in a mile. Cheers! Cheers.